I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. Loads of footballers talk about living for the roar of the crowd. The business equivalent might be scoring a game-changing deal, maybe even doing it again and again. The shareholders are happy, clients happy, everybody's happy, right? It didn't matter what I felt about my training session, what I thought about my performance in a game. It only mattered what the coach thought or the manager or the fans. It led into almost two decades of my value and self-esteem being heavily anchored in external validation. Clark Carlisle is a former Premier League footballer who now works with companies across the UK to improve mental health well-being in the workplace. He and his wife Carrie will be appearing at the upcoming water cooler exhibition and conference around office culture. It follows his own long battle with depression that affected his work his life and his family. I was just about masking my anxiety at that point and I had to have yep. a GP say to me, Clark jabbed me to the GP and the GP said, mm, this isn't your first rodeo if you're already here and then this happens and you can't function. When this happened to us, Clark's illness happened to us, I could no longer mask my symptoms. I could no longer pretend I wasn't anxious. I'm David Marsland from The Evening Standard. Now, Clark and Carrie make a great team. There's a lot of laughter in this episode. But we are going to be talking about some very difficult issues, including feelings around suicide. We're also going to be getting mental health advice, hearing about help and lots of success stories. There is a lot going on. So where do we start? Clark, let's start with you. Do do you hear that, baby? Let's start with me. Carrie, we'll, we'll, we'll do two minutes with Clark and then the rest will be with you. But <laughs> I'm just I'm just helping his ego a bit. <laughs> because you've had quite a journey with your mental health and as an adult you learned and, and, and how to deal with it. But it was as a child that you think you first noticed you may have been having mental health issues? Definitely, yeah. It's not It's not that the adverse mental health started in childhood, but what I have come to understand, predominantly through therapy, is a lot of my uh, emotional responses and my coping behaviours 
were formed in my childhood, largely in, in fear of admonishment or punishment from my parents, you know, especially my old man. You, you got to think, grew up in the 70s and 80s. Corporal punishment was the order of the day. You know, it, it wasn't even thought about. So my dad was a you know big six foot five, imposing black man, and and the fear that he physically put in us as children, and the fear of punishment by him, it caused a lot of very insular responses. It caused a, a lot of secrecy within um, you know how I'm feeling or or the actions that I was undertaking. Not only that, it kind of ties in, David, with the beliefs and values of that time about what it was to be a man. We probably call it archaic now, but I'll go with traditional. Yeah, you have your back straight, your head down, you don't show any signs of weakness and you definitely don't display any of those negative emotions. So, you know, what I, I've realize now is that a lot of my emotional suppression and a lot of a lot of my avoidance behaviors they were formed as a child but the th there's nothing wrong with that we all do that the the reason where it becomes impactful and consequential is when you're still using those same emotional responses uh, and coping mechanisms as a 35 year old man <laughs> that kind of experience with Let's call it a father figure, actually, because I'm thinking about going into football when you're a young man. I mean, that's a hard world, isn't it? Lots of discipline, lots of training, probably quite a bit of shouting. You must have gone through exactly the same thing as a young footballer. It's a hard world, but actually I fit into it perfectly because it gave me very clear boundaries and parameters. You know, being a, a guy of mixed heritage in a predominantly white, well, it was like 99% white council estate and then a 99% white school. There was a lot of othering. There was a lot of isolation. There was a lot of me trying to mold myself to fit in to various groups. Because of that, that kind of developed this people-pleasing behavior. I didn't do things because I wanted to do them. I did them because I thought you wanted me to do them. In doing so, you would accept me. So when I go into football, you know, the very strict parameters about what to do, how to do it, when to do it, that suited me down to the ground because I really didn't have an identity or a, a mode of thinking of my own. The flip side to that is that it actually perpetuated that people pleasing within me because it didn't matter what I felt about my training session, what I thought about my performance in a game. It only mattered what the coach thought or the manager, or the fans. It led into almost two decades of my value and self-esteem being heavily anchored in external validation. And when that happens, you're subject to the whims and fancies of everyone else. And the direct impact on me is that my emotional and psychological state and well-being, you know, it fluctuated dramatically from, from hour to hour, hour, never mind day to day. Gary, at home, how did those kind of mood swings, that fluctuation, how was that affecting things in the house? I met Clark after he retired. I guess he'd but still had the same mentality, so great question. But he, we got into trouble early on because I wouldn't fulfil a cycle of behaviour that we didn't know was a cycle of behaviour. So he'd be like, he would always try and redeem himself. And I'd Redemption. be like, there's there's no need. Like, I, we didn't know that. We, we learned that way after when he had got cognitive and just got therapy. But I'd be like, there's literally no need. Like, you're grand as you are. Crack on. Like, <laughs> I don't do anything. I don't want stuff or money or 
things or you know props I, it, none of it interested me I just I just liked him he was great he was like my kind of weird met his kind of weird and then we just got together and were weird for a lot weren't we so he'd be like in his head he'd have this whole cycle of behavior going on and I just wouldn't notice I'd be like la, 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 just living his best life and but that got us in trouble it seems like that's nice like that's a nice idea but yeah. when your whole life has been extreme highs and lows and I win or I lose, not me, by the way. In fact, we did it. We did a questionnaire <laughs> one time, right? And Clark was 99% competitive and I'm 1% competitive. <laughs> so together we're 100%. But he'd be like, yeah, high, low, win, lose. And then there's me just average, average. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. And when he couldn't fulfill that cycle it actually had a, a pretty dangerous knock-on effect mm. for him because he was free-falling. He didn't know what to do. I'm not saying that it completely added to, to suicide attempts, but it, it was something he was so uncomfortable with because his entire life from childhood through being an athlete, every relationship he'd ever had in any form was, I'm going to mess up and redeem myself. I'm going to win or I'm going to lose. And you, you just couldn't do that with me. But he stuck it. Bless him. He didn't go, well, this isn't working for me. It's a weird dynamic. I can't remember the question. <laughs> it's, it's how did my swings play at home? And and, and you've answered it perfectly, oh, you know, because uh, Carrie's right. I, I was heavily entrenched. Just Carrie's right will do. Yeah, I'll stop right there. And that was the end of the show. <laughs> I was heavily entrenched in, in, in that polemic existence. Everything was win or lose, success or fail. You, you know, middle ground, okay, all right. That was anathema to me. It was a really uncomfortable place. I had to be achieving or I had to be losing so that I could then redeem myself and achieve. So when, when we factor that into our relationship, you know, if I did something that I thought was a little bit naughty, you know, maybe I played a game of poker or, I, I, I you know, I had a night out, I would come home and seek kind of admonishment from Carrie because then that gave me a low point from which then I could redeem myself. Well, well, she just didn't care. <laughs> no, that's, not true. that's true. That's actually not true. It's yeah. not that I didn't care. It's just that we had this foundation of unconditional love and support from yeah. day one. Like we fostered yeah. it, we, we really took care of it. And then he'd be like, oh, I must add out this whole behavior. And I'd be like, no, well, you can't. But it, I didn't tell him that I loved him unconditionally until he tried to kill himself and was in psychiatric hospital. Top tip, don't wait that long. Like, do it before at some point. If you don't tell the people in your life you love them unconditionally, they don't know. So I would show him, because that's what I was, I, you know, I wasn't brought up around people telling me they love me all the time. I do tell Clark, we do tell our kids, but I, he didn't know, like, there's nothing you can do to make me go away. Plus, the stuff he was doing wasn't even terrible. Like, it, it was literally, he would just be, just not be 100% best boyfriend in the world, rah, 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 yeah. which is what he was, I guess, used to. So it, it ended up being helpful long term, but not great at first, did it? And it took three weeks in psych hospital and two life attempts, oh, um, attempts on his life to to have an expert say to us, oh, hey, guess what? This is what he does. This is what you do, which is why you should go to counselling together. Yes. Go to counselling together, get an expert and go to therapy separately. Let's go to the ads. And while they're on, have a look at watercoolerevent.com where you'll find all the speakers and events taking place at the XL London on 25th and 26th of April. Tickets are free. That's watercoolerevent.com. We're back after these. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. This section of how to be a CEO contains a discussion about the feelings around suicide. So let's talk about that time when you when you did go into hospital, when you needed that psychiatric treatment. I mean, it sounds like Carrie was doing everything she possibly could to keep you on an equilibrium. How did you end up so low in those circumstances? What a really good question. You know, if if I'm not paying a direct attention to my well-being and my my psychological emotional state. If I'm not sharing those feelings of emotion that take me to overwhelm, which, you know, from my history have always been feelings of either sadness when I want to cry, because crying wasn't accepted in my in my home as a child, fear and anxiety. Oh, and anger as well. All of my life I've been I've been, I've been petrified of my own anger. And again, you know, that's born out of the interactions of, of how I saw anger displayed in my childhood. I didn't want that to manifest in my in my life. So, you know, when if I'm not sharing and managing those emotions, then I suppress them to the point of overwhelm. So it doesn't matter what Carrie does for me in that process. It doesn't matter what services are available to me. It doesn't matter how much money I've got in my bank or how good my job is. You know, it, it, everything external doesn't matter if I'm not engaging with the process of managing, you know, my state and my situation. And it was something that I didn't know how to do, David. I'd never been taught it. You know, everything in my life had always been about either suppression or avoidance. You know, we get to 2017. I get that low because if I am sharing, I'm not sharing 100% honestly. And I'm probably only sharing with Carrie at that point in my life. And we're still in a young relationship. You know, I still want Carrie to feel that, you know, everything's all right. I, I still have that perception that if I'm upset, 
then it will reflect on our relationship and Carrie will think that something's wrong with her or with us mm. when it's not. So, you know, I'm bottling all that inside. If unconditional love and support could fix mental health issues, nobody would have any because we've all got hopefully at least one person. So it doesn't matter how stable your home life is, doesn't matter. Stabilisation is key after you've been diagnosed. Stabilisation is key once you know what you're working with, but unconditional love can't fix an actual medical problem. Mental health issues, a brain is part of the body. So once Clark got the correct diagnosis, which you didn't get until you were 37, no, you could have tried to stay as well as you liked. I'm not saying you did try everything. He absolutely didn't. He tried two things quite badly. <laughs> um, but until you honestly get the correct diagnosis, the right medication, the right level of medication, the right therapy for you, then come home, then do the whole stabilization, telling on myself, admitting 100%. You couldn't have stopped what happened. It no. was, at that stage, it was completely inevitable. He couldn't have done anything, nor could I, but absolutely we could have done everything once there was the right medical intervention. And Carrie, how was, is your mental health? It's, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm quite highly strung. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I had never had therapy until Clark tried to kill himself when I was pregnant and the NHS throws everything at you when you when you've just had a baby or when you are pregnant quite rightly because of you know postnatal depression and whatnot uh, I have a, a brother without mental illness so they also were keeping their eye out anyway just in case and so I got therapy very quickly on the NHS how wonderful and then from there I realised, wow, therapy is like having a personal organiser, but for your thoughts rather than your wardrobe. And it was great to talk, not just about me and my our trauma, because mm. this, it, Carter didn't put me through anything. What we went through affected us both. And it turned out my, I was just about masking my anxiety at that point. And I had to have yeah. a GP say to me, Clark jabbed me to the GP and the GP said, mm, this isn't your first rodeo if you're already here. And then this happens and you can't function. When this happened to us, Clark's illness happened to us, I could no longer mask my symptoms. I could no longer pretend I wasn't anxious. So wonderfully, I went on anti-anxiety meds for six months and started talking therapy. Hindsight's 2020, but could Clark have had the same intervention 20 years ago when the world was a different place? Would it have gotten to the depths that he got to? Probably not. We'll never know. So how is my mental health? It's up and down. I'm usually very, very up, uh, sometimes too up with anxiety, but we're on different scales and we support each other. It's not about Clark having an illness and me being the carer. It's absolutely 50-50 like in all relationships. Uh, you know, I, I really like that question because it, I think people... Never ever ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, it's really important because both of you went through this and the, I just figured there had to be some kind of an effect on Carrie herself, but having gone through what would be really traumatic. Definitely, definitely. And Clark is definitely the most stable one in, in this relationship, <laughs> absolutely. At first people go, really? And then they hear me talk and go, oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so I'm very, you know, up, down, up, down, whereas Clark's had this, for all he was by nature, up, down, up, down, due to trauma and whatnot, and, and just the, the nature of being an athlete, he's actually made a very slow upward trajectory in his wellness. He's very stable by nature. He's very placid by nature. And we're just uncovering all that, really. So mm. I'm definitely the more, I'm not going to say volatile, but I'm definitely the more, my, my mood swings are way more up and down than his are because mm. I'm just very anxious by nature, I think. I think there's a common like misconception around the term wellness, to be honest, David, because mm. I think, you know, that there's a societal perception that 
when we talk about wellness, we're talking about happiness. And if you say, you know, are you well now? People think you're constantly up here and feeling great. And, you know, you know, yeah, like the Speakmans. Yeah, life's great. All that. (laughs) You know, that's not life. That's not reality. You know, I am the most well that I've ever been in my life. That's still that that still doesn't protect me, you know, from having low days, days of sadness, you know, life impacting me. What what being well means, it means that none of those uh, deviations, especially in the lower ebb, none of them are dangerous. It means I'm managing them and processing them, you know, in the right way at the right time so that I do maintain, you know, a pretty level uh, trajectory on the course of my life. But I really rail against that pursuit of happiness because happiness is a transient emotion. And if you're going to pursue that constantly, then you're setting yourself up for large tranches of failure or being less than or being lower than. You know, my perception and my approach in life is to is to strive for contentment. Carrie really railed against this yeah, when I first mentioned it. Yeah, because it's like he's settling. <laughs> oh, I'm content. Oh, that's average. No, oh, no. I'm so glad you're content with me. <laughs> no, to, to have contentment doesn't mean you're settling for. You know, you, you can you can have contentment and still uh, strive and aspire. But to to have contentment, in my understanding, is to be grateful for all that you have. And that's what I strive for in my circumstances. You know, whether emotionally I'm up or down, you know, I, I, I strive to be grateful for what I have in my present. Having been through all of that, both of you have now decided to talk about it. You're doing interviews like this one. You do lots of corporate occasions, speeches. And having done that and then starting to meet with companies and business people, have you realized there's actually an issue here, there's a problem here, and, and there, there is help that can be given? 100%, you know. And I don't think we're under any illusions that there was going to be a problem, especially, you know, within the workplace sector where the vast majority of people are, are, are going to be putting on their work face, you know, but trying to embody that professional persona when they go to work and, and masking whatever symptoms they've got, you know, and, and hiding from the fact of the reality of what's going on in behind closed doors. I don't think we were under any illusion that there were going to be problems there. But what I think surprised us was the very particular and repetitive nature of what the problems were. Within each sector. Uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, across the workplaces and within each sector. And we could probably pinpoint maybe three or four things that are commonplace across virtually every workplace, yeah. unless you have someone on a board or executive level who has a, a lived experience of adverse mental health, and then the culture changes. Athletes talk very well to high-performing individuals. They do. So, of course, we're sectors where where people are in high-performance, high-impact, high-stress environments. There's always going to be that correlation. But I think what we realised, what our passion is as well, is that we love to make people aware of the support networks they've already got. Like genuinely your work pay for this. They pay for it. It's yours. They don't care if you if you don't use it, then then why do it? And another thing that really we're passionate about is if you do go on sick leave, please don't just sit at home. That within any sector, within any sector, we've had this problem of, you know, people 
they, they finally admit something's not working. Usually like me, when they couldn't mask it anymore, when they literally could not function and pretend anymore, we, we really want to get people to the point where they don't go on the sick and admit that they're ill just to sit at home. We want them to use everything. And a lot of companies have absolutely incredible resources. They mm-hmm. really, really do. We just want to highlight them and say, guess what? We use them too. And they work really well and they might even be there for your family because guess what you know what we what the pandemic did for us really is we'd never really done virtual talks before that we thought it had to be face to face didn't we what really worked for us is we didn't just say to people right you watch this talk oh you're at home guess what get your flatmates get your husband get your wife get your children over 18 because it starts with we you know the the wellness (laughs) has we in it doesn't it so we we are really passionate about take everyone with you. Don't just take bits of our talk that are a bit sanitized that you're ready to talk about. The good, the bad, the ugly, share it together because you're all getting well together. And the EAPs pick up on it. They do, you know, it's ubiquitous to the workplace. Resources are there, but people are, are reluctant to engage with them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the dynamic that we want to change is not that people access the, the support services or their EAP because they're in crisis or because yes. they need support. Yeah. We think that it should be mandated that employees are expected to check in with these support services three times a year. Mm-hmm. And it's part of their annual appraisal, mm-hmm. you know, so that there is no external perception that you're in trouble or less than or in need or lacking. You know, it, it's it's like you, you, your annual health checkup at the GP. Health you know, and safety training at work. Exactly. We, we do this so that we're proactive and, inter, uh, you know, uh, uh, and intervening in potential Uh, adverse mental health but further than that once you do start to engage with these services what what we found is that it's more than just wellness this is actually underpinning my capability as an adult you know what what, once you are well the the you know the continuing therapy we we think it's cpd don't we you know the amount of insight and life application that we get from from exploring our 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 thought processes uh, and our responses it actually makes me, I, I know this, more capable as an adult. And then I can fulfill my roles. Yeah, we're a little bit behind the times um, in, in Britain, I think. I think Americans haven't nailed, to be honest. They, they know that if you're successful, then you get you get therapy or you get life coaching or what have you. And we just, you know, the more people that just stand up like us and go, hey, guess what? I know that we went public and told everyone, but we still, we still choose to do this every day. This is our luxury item. You know, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I don't, whatever. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're nervous, you're good in mind. <laughs> I don't like I like shoes and I like handbags but I, this is my luxury item and I and I choose to I choose to to re to evolve and I choose to choose how I feel I wake up in the morning and I choose how I feel clocks we're from different angles we have different beliefs and we're still both well so it's for everyone that was Clark and Carrie Carlisle If you've been affected by the topics talked about in this episode, help is available. Go to samaritans.org or call 116-123. How to be a CEO is back on Monday morning. In the meantime, you can get daily news, interviews and analysis at standard.co.uk forward slash business. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title 
will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.